Hi, Pastor Anthony here. At Vintage Faith Church, we stand behind the Bible's claim to be the Word of God, and we believe that the Scriptures contain everything needed for life and godliness. The Scriptures testify to the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. We pray that this recording stirs your faith towards that end. This is in no way meant to be a substitute for the local church gathering, which we believe is critical to your growth as a Christian and your walk with Christ. We pray that you will find the sermon edifying and challenging. Thank you for listening. Well, good morning. Um, if you have been with us, and it, we, this is our 24th week in the book of Hebrews. 24th week. Yeah, yeah. So it's, uh, it's been a, a bit of a ride. And, and every time I preach through a book of the Bible, I, I'm always uh, just amazed at how much I'm learning as, as I'm going and how much the, 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 the actual letter connects and how much I missed before I preached through it. And, and I trust and pray that you're having uh, a similar Experience. We we have to remember when we're going through a book of the Bible that that this is a you know it's a right one writer and he's got a, a reason why he's writing the letter. It's not just a bunch of detached uh, verses. He's he's writing for a a reason and sometimes there's multiple reasons, um, but often those multiple reasons are actually supporting the primary reason that the author. Is writing. So I, I thought 24 weeks in, it would be good just to start with a five-minute recap of, of where we have been. Let's go to Hebrews 1, 1 to 3. This is how the letter opens for, for those of you who were not with us and, and maybe are not um, familiar with, with the book of Hebrews. This is how it opens. Long ago, in many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And as I, I, I read that and I think through that and then I think through where we've been, it's, it, where we've been has just been kind of unpacking that. That, that Jesus is the, the radiance of the glory of God, that, that he's the, the effulgence, the, like, like the, the, the rays of the sun to the, to the sun. He's the exact imprint of the Father. And the, and the letter goes on um, in chapters 1 and 2. He's superior to the angels. Chapters 3 and 4, he's superior to Moses and the promised land and the Sabbath. Chapters 5 to 7, there was a lot of deep ground, if you can remember, as he's the superior high priest. And then 8 to 10, Jesus is superior. He's instituting the new covenant, which is superior to the old covenant. And he is the perfect and superior sacrifice. The blood of goats and bulls could never take away sins. It's only the precious blood of Jesus. And interestingly enough, in each section where the author is pressing on us, saying, hey, Jesus is, 
is better. You're looking back to these Old Testament rituals and sacrifices. Jesus is better. In each section, there's also a warning passage. Just warning us. Don't turn away. If you turn away from Jesus, there's nothing left for you. And then we, we saw last week we, we, that the whole letter pivots in chapter 11. Um, chapter 11 is kind of like, okay, now that we've unpacked this, therefore go and be like this, which is much of the New Testament letters. You're going to read those letters and you're going to get a bunch of doctrine. And, and this is what God has done. This is who God is. This is the beauty of who we worship. Therefore, walk in this manner. And Hebrews, Hebrews is no different. 11, 12 to the end of the book, we're going we're gonna to see that. And there's a call to, to endure, to persevere. And I wonder where you are this morning in your faith. Are you on the, the edge of, of maybe saying, hey, this, this, is, this is tiring. I, I, I don't know if I can persevere. If that's you, then this, this letter is, is for you. This letter is for you. Last week, we, we ended with Noah. And, and this week, Abraham is chronologically, that, that makes sense. He's the next hero of the Old Testament that, that the author is going to point out. So let's get into our text today. We're in uh, chapter 11, verse 8 and 9, if you're following along. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. Two things I want to point out in, in the first section. Number one, Abraham was called by God to leave. He was called to leave. It's not unlike the call to, to all of you and, and me as, as Christians. We, we are called, when God calls us, we are called to leave, to leave some things behind, and we'll get to that in a moment. And, and the next thing that I want to point out is he didn't know where he was going. He went out not knowing where he was going. And I just let's sit on that for a moment. How often do we just beg God and just say, I want to, what's your will for my life? What do I do here? Where are you leading me? And I think often we want those answers, but what, what God is saying is just trust me. I'm going to light up the next step for you. Take that step. Just go. I'm not going to necessarily tell you where you're going, but just go. And maybe you're in that place this morning where you feel a tug um, and you don't see the, the end, but you see the step in front of you. And I would just encourage you, take that step. In fact, there's this one verse in the, in the Gospels that, that, that I just love, and um, it, it, it's centered around the, the death of Lazarus. And I don't want to get too into that, but Lazarus is a friend of Jesus, and he dies, and, and his sister Martha is grieving. 
And Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. He comes out of the grave and he turns to Martha at one point. And he's, in John 11, he says, Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? And ultimately, this is what God is calling all of us to do. Just have faith and then I will show you Believe in me. It's not the opposite, right? Often the, the unbelieving wor world is saying, okay, show me proof, then I'll believe. But God here is in the call to Abraham is saying, go, I, I will show you. And here with Martha, I, didn't I tell you that if you believed, if you had faith, that you would see the glory of God, that you would see God work. Now back to Abraham, it, it should be noted Abraham and his son Isaac and, and Jacob, they lived their entire life as sojourners, living in tents. By faith, he took hold of the promise that was coming, but he never saw the fulfillment of the promise that was given to him. In fact, Abraham, we're going to see in this text, he, he was given this promise of you're going to have land and you're going to have descendants and, and your, your descendants are going to bless the world. But Abraham was even looking past that. We're seeing here, he was looking past that to the heavenly city, and he never got the earthly promise. He never saw the promise. But what is this, again, this text today for you, for me, what is it saying to us? Well, first, I think minimally, at a, at a very base level, here's one thing that it's saying. Ephesians 4, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So at a very base level, every Christian is called to leave the old life behind and embrace the new. The Bible speaks of this, put off and put on. And the Holy Spirit is working through us and it's God's um, power that we, in which we do this, but we still have a responsibility. We can't just sit back and say, hey, I can't put this off, this sin, because God hasn't freed me from it yet. Romans 6 says we are no longer slaves to sin. We're slaves to, to God. So at a very minimum, we are called to leave that old life and look to a new life, a new life following God and following his law and commandment, believing the gospel. And then secondary, I think, in all of your situations, God is active in your life and he's, he's moving you in, in places. He's calling you to things. It might be baptism. It might be church membership. It might be leaning into this body uh, relationally. Maybe meeting with the women or serving in some way. Or maybe, maybe you've never given money, tithed, and you don't understand what that, that is, and you've been kind of holding that back. 
Or maybe you, you, you feel him calling you to something and you know it's a good way down the road and, and, and what he's saying to you now is just be still and wait and trust. So I think those two things are, are really the application points of our text today. And, and one of them is, is clear. It's in, it's in the Bible. Like put off the old self and put on the new. Every one of us. And the other one is going to be a little more nuanced to, to your situation. And I don't know where all of you are. And only you know and only the Lord knows. What is he calling you to? All right, let's, let's keep going. By faith... He, Abraham, went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. So, so let's get this here in the text for a moment. The, the God calls Abraham and says, leave. He's probably wealthy. He's in Mesopotamia. He's got a big family. He knows how to live life and has a, has a home. And um, all of that, those things that, that uh, make life comfortable. And God says, leave. I'm going to give you some land. And he does it. And he never gets it. But the text says here, he wasn't looking to that land. That land is just symbolic. It was real. I'm not saying the land wasn't real. But in Abraham's mind, it meant something more. And the the text here says, the city with foundations, whose designer and builder is God. This is the new heavens and the new earth. And there's a contrast here in this text that that we're meant to see. Here's the contrast. Tents, which are impermanent, temporary. Anyone that's living in tents, especially in that day, lack of wealth, lack of status, lack of safety. Contrasted with a city with foundations that's permanent, that's comfort, that's stability. And in this text, we're meant to take note of that. For the last five years, my family and and I and and another family, we we have uh, vacationed in Rhode Island uh, near near the coast. And um, we've done that in tents for for five years. Um, as someone who's past midlife, that gets harder and harder to do every year. <laughs> um, it, it's actually exhausting living in tents. You wake up in the morning and it's like, where's my toothbrush? Where's the toothpaste? Uh, where, where are my socks? Where are my clothes? You, you know, everything is, is, is temporary. Um, Not to to mention, it's humid, it's wet, it's dirty. The weather can get in. It's hot when it's hot. It's wet when it's wet. Forget about getting a cup of coffee in the morning. I mean, we we do it, but that's a chore. Everything's a chore when you're living in tents. Living in tents is a tiring life. We used to camp in the Adirondacks, and and forget about that. Uh, You've got all sorts of critters and, and even bears. 
And then we're supposed to imagine that this little sheet of nylon is going to keep them out. <laughs> and that we gave that up years ago once uh, we heard that there were a lot of bears around. And, um, but, but nevertheless, Abraham gave up a life of comfort and embraced a sojourning life living in tents. And I think as Christians, this idea that the writer is getting at, there's a, a bigger issue he's, he's pointing towards, and that is that we are exiles, that we are sojourners, as Christians, that we are pilgrims, that this world is not our world. This is, we're here, we're in it, we're not of it. Our home is in the heavenly city, the city with foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Peter says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles. Peter embraces this idea. And I think as Christians in 2024 and somewhat wealthy, I know we're not all in the same socioeconomic status, but we, we struggle with this idea. And some of you may be less if you, you've been sick or gone through tough times. And I hear it from many of you like, I just can't wait for glory. But this is an aspect of our faith that we need to embrace. If we don't embrace it, what we're going to end up doing is our hearts are going to seek after the things of this world. Um, the writer of Ecclesiastes says this, Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, vanity of vanities. All is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. He, this word vanity, it's vapor. It's, it's all a vapor. I'm, I want to chase this, whatever this is, and it's a vapor. I can't actually grab it. There's nothing there of significance. That's because we're sojourners. And our true hope should be and needs to be in the heavenly city. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, what do I gain what do I gain if, hum, humanly speaking, I fought with wild beasts at Ephesus? If the dead are not raised, if the dead are not raised, if this resurrection is not real, if it's all a story, if the dead are not raised, let us eat, drink, for tomorrow we die. If the dead are not raised, Christian, what we're doing here is the dumbest thing we could do on a Sunday morning. But the dead are raised. The dead are raised. And we have hope in the resurrection. And again, hope in the city with foundations. So how do you live? Ask this question to yourself. Do you live as if the resurrection is true? If it, do you live as if there is a city with foundations, a heavenly city where we will be resurrected? Do you live as if that's true? Or are you constantly looking at the things of the world and chasing those vapors? And we see here in Abraham that he embraced the pilgrim living of living in tents. Now granted, he became a very wealthy man, but he still lived in tents. Paul says in Colossians, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, 
seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not, not on things that are on earth. Does that mean that we just sit back and let it all deteriorate? No, we're to be salt and light and steward our possessions and use them for God's glory. But it does mean our hearts and our minds need to be set towards him and the hope, the hope of the resurrection. There's a quote here from Eric Watkins that that I liked as I was preparing. He said, Hebrews is telling us something important, not only about Abraham, Sarah, and their sons, but also about what it means for us to be the people of God. In short, we are a pilgrim people whose permanent home is not found in this world but in heaven, the eternal city of which the builder and maker is God. So again, I would just ask you as we, we interact with this text this morning, do you, do you have that aspect of your faith, like that you're a pilgrim people? A pilgrim people. Amy and I were, were talking this week and we, we both kind of came to this conclusion that um, at our stage in life, and maybe some of you that are further on, older than us, you, you can correct me after and say, hey, you, you might be wrong. But this is where we came to. In our, our stage in life, we, we have, um, have four kids. Um, they're getting older. Uh, about to send two of them to college. Uh, we've been married. We've had two homes at this point. We've gone on lots of vacations and and we were just kind of talking and saying, you know, it feels like at our stage, it doesn't feel like there's a lot to look forward to in an earthly sense anymore. You know, what, what is going to be out there that we haven't done? Um, and I'm not saying, I, like, I, I love life. I mean, there's a lot of good. God is good. His creation is good. I'm not saying that. I'm balanced in that tension. But as far as, like, our, heart, our hearts often take and say, well, I'll have joy and happiness and contentment when? And we punt it down the field, like a football field, and say, when I get to the 20-yard line, in five years, I'll, I'll be happy when these things happen. And then we get there, we get the things that we want, like, okay, we're excited for a while, and it just, like a vapor, goes away. And it's the next thing, and it's the next thing. And we, and we gotta be careful, because what we do in that is we're just conditioning ourselves to take contentment, joy, and hope, which we all need. Our hearts are going to put that on something, and we put it here in things on earth. And, and as we talked, we both kind of came to this conclusion that, that the, the thing that we need to be looking forward to is the new heavens and the new earth and the city with foundations. And, and how often we, we can get off course on that. All of us do it. If you're a Christian, there's nothing in this world that can fill the void. And I say if you're a Christian because you've got the Holy Spirit within you who's crying, Abba, Father. If you're not a Christian, yeah, you're going to get, you know, these things aren't going to necessarily fulfill. But Christians especially, we, our hearts long for for God, long for God. All right, let's, let's keep going. Verse 11. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age since she considered him faithful who had promised. 
That's the question to ask this morning for, for all of you. Have you ever uh, considered that birth is more than just science? When, when the Bible speaks of birth, it says things like, and God remembered Rachel, and God listened to her, and opened her womb. Like that is the language of the Bible, that, that God closes, opens wombs and closes wombs. And we see here that Sarah believed. She believed in, in the promise. And, and you might be, if you're a student of the Bible, you might be thinking, well, I, I know some things about about Sarah, did, did she? she her, her faith might, was a little shaky. Well, let, let's read that. Genesis 18. This is the story of, of the angels and Christ, I believe a pre-incarnate Christ, coming to see Abraham and Sarah to give them the promise that, that eventually is the gospel. They said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, she is in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, Am I worn out? After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you. And about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. He said, no, but you did laugh. <laughs> right? That's funny. Um, but, but you see this, and you're like, well, how does the Bible commend her? For her faith, when we clearly see she, she's struggling here, in Sarah's defense, she's past the way of women. She can't conceive, humanly speaking. If we're honest, Sarah and Abraham, are, they're not perfect examples of faith. I mean, early on, they, they doubted God's promise, we just read it. Later on, they're going to take matters into their own hand. That promised child is just not coming fast enough. So they, they devise a, a plan that just has just consequences that are still unfolding even today. What Abraham and Sarah show us is that true faith the persevering faith that the book of Hebrews is talking about, that, that persevere, persevere, the true faith is not a faith that is always perfectly expressed. And I hope that gives you all comfort because we don't always perfectly express our faith. We have moments of doubt. You have moments of doubt. But is the trajectory of your life Faith towards God? Is your faith growing? And, and hey, it's not gonna, it might not look like a, a straight line. It might be ups and downs, but that line's going up and your faith is growing and you're going through trials. And you might be crying out, why? Why God? Why, why me? But, but you get through the trial and you look back and say, He was good. He was there. 
Even in my trial, the Lord was there. Verse 12 goes on in the same vein of thought. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. So this is the promise. This is the gospel. Uh, Paul and Galatians will say that, that God gave the gospel to Abraham, that the world would be blessed through him. We are here because of this promise and Abraham's obedience. We are here today because of it. So again, back to the context of this letter. Chapter 11 is, is uh, if, if you remember 10, 10 finished with this warning. Don't shrink back. Don't shrink back. And then he encourages us right at the end and says, we're not those who shrink back. We are those who, who press on. And then he gives us this, 11, chapter 11, all these examples. So we have an example in Abraham. When, when you ask, what does faith look like? Well, it, it looks like Abraham and Sarah. It's not perfect, but it, it looks something like that. Al Mohler says, faith looks like a 100-year-old man and a 90-year-old woman believing that God will fulfill his promises, even when the fulfillment of those promises seems impossible according to human reason. That's faith. There's going to be times in our walk where, where we, we believe God is leading somewhere, us somewhere and it seems impossible. How am I going to get from here to there? And those are the times where we just sit back, wait on the Lord, watch him work. And when he calls us to take that second step or third step, we take it. promise that was originally given to Adam and Eve in the garden and then to Abraham and then just unfolds throughout scripture, it often looked like it would not come true. At one point, there's a famine in, in the promised land and it, his people go to Egypt Joseph is sold into slavery, and, and, and now they find themselves in Egypt, and, and they seem to be prospering for a while, but then they become slaves, and it looks hopeless. And even in the Exodus, as God frees his people, they, they're coming out of Egypt, and at one point, God leads them right to the water. Their backs are against the water, and they see Egypt coming in, in chariots towards them, and they have nowhere to go. Humanly speaking, they're toast. And we know what happened. God opens up the Red Sea, and they, they come through on dry ground, and um, the Egyptians are, are killed. You have David, the, the shepherd boy, killing a Goliath with a stone. Israel is captured out of the promised land. They're, they're exiled. It's like, okay, is this over? Is the promise over? You have Jesus born in a feeding trough. 
You have the Messiah, the promised seed, finally born, and now he's being executed on a Roman cross. But in what looks like sure defeat, what's happening on the cross is God is conquering through Christ Satan, sin, and death. What looked like sure defeat to the Israelites, God wiped out the Egyptians. What looks like Abraham and Sarah, we're beyond childbearing age. How is this promise going to come through us? God opens Sarah's womb. Isaiah says he gives power to the faint and to him who has no might. He increases strength. Are you in here this morning feeling like, I don't have any strength left? Is that you? If it isn't you, you've probably been there before. We've all been there. This might be exactly where the Lord wants you. Might be exactly where the Lord wants you. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, he's talking about his thorn and he wants it removed. And he says, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And can we be honest? We often, we think like, well, when I am weak, I am weak. Right? To, to be weak to us is weak. To be weak, if we're seen as, as, as weak, we're seen as weak. But Paul is saying, for when I am weak, the power of God is able to work through me and flow through me. God's kingdom is not like the kingdom of this world. Think about my own story here. Um, in the flesh, in my natural abilities, I and not somebody who possessed communication gifts as a child. I am not somebody who naturally would want to stand in front of people and speak for 40 minutes or 45 minutes. It's a weakness of mine. It's a weakness of mine. But it's where the Lord works through me. And, and you're all the same in some way. You, you have... Maybe this thing that, that, that is just like, hey, I, I'm so weak and so scared here, but I feel like God's tugging me to do it. And maybe you're afraid. And it's like, well, do it. Do it in your weakness. Do it in your weakness. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 27 to 29 says, But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Amen. This is our God. Brothers and sisters, this is the God we worship. This is the inversion of the worldly ways in the gospel of the kingdom. 
He uses weak, seemingly insignificant men and women to advance his kingdom. Look at the disciples. So are you feeling like you're in an impossible situation right now? You don't see any way out? Or maybe you're feeling weak? And I want to leave you with maybe that is exactly where the Lord would have you to show his power. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we desire, um, we desire to, to be strengthened by you. Lord, often we, we forget that it's often in our weaknesses where your power flows through us. I pray for everyone in here that they can just kind of put a finger on what that is in their own life, where maybe they're being called by you their next step. Maybe, maybe they're at the point where they need to put off the old and put on the new, to, to repent of sin and to just really trust you that you are who you say you are. And if I repent from that sin, I'm not going to lose anything. I'm actually going to gain you. So maybe people are there, and I pray for those people in the room that, that, that need to do that. And those who, who you're tugging, Lord, you're tugging their heart, and, and maybe they don't see where, but they just know somewhere, I just pray that you'll show them at least the next step. Like Abraham, that they can, they can go without knowing exactly where they're going. We trust you, Father. We know that you're a good Father, you're a good God, and we know that you're leading us. We pray this all in the mighty name of your Son. Amen. Thanks for tuning in with us. We hope that you found this sermon edifying, encouraging, and challenging. To learn more about Vintage Faith Church, visit VintageFaithCicero.com. And of course, if you live in the area, we invite you to worship the Lord with us on Sunday mornings.